0: Hey, this is Charles. And this is Pat. From Conversations Podcast, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. And this is Pat. (laughs) (laughs) You said the whole thing. (laughs) All right, let's try that again. Take two. Hey, this is Charles. And this is Pat. From Conversations Podcast, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives. And okay. this is Pat. <laughs> <laughs> no you <bad. laughs> Why aren't you at your post?
1: Cut bread check the gate moving on.
0: This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. There is more knowledge
1: here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the Holocron's is one of the most important duties
0: a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task?
1: Fans, Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Tuesday, June 7th, 2020. Yeah, so this week I am joined by good friend and uh, fellow podcaster Charles Westcott from the Conversations podcast. Uh, Fortunately, we have winnowed Pat out of this and all of his made-up knowledge uh, that he has from uh, across the horizon from the top of the nearest ladder. But uh, Pat is busy working and actually saving lives tonight while Charles and I are just sitting here in our post-technology world Uh, Day jobs, quote unquote. Uh, Yeah, having a couple of cocktails and thinking our way through uh, Star Wars without Pat and his wisdom. So let's talk a little bit about a character that, uh, interestingly enough, you know, for anyone who's been following the Kenobi series, and I imagine there are quite a few out there, uh, when we look at episode three of Kenobi, it's kind of been building up to this confrontation. Uh, where you're going to hopefully get to see uh, Ewan McGregor's uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Hayden Christensen's Darth Vader finally meet up. And we won't get into that piece of this episode, but certainly as a byproduct of the storyline, uh, there is a safe house that Obi-Wan comes across as uh, as he and young Leia are escaping from the uh, group of criminals that have kidnapped them at the behest of the Inquisitorius. And uh, one of the things that occurs in the safe house is there is a quote that is scrawled hastily on the wall from Master Voss, as Obi-Wan Kenobi calls him. And that would be Quinlan Voss, who, uh, if anyone is familiar with the, uh, the Clone Wars series, uh, you will have uh, heard a little bit about Quinlan Voss. Certainly, if you are a fan of Star Wars literature, you will have potentially come across Dark Disciple, where he featured a little bit more prominent role uh but this is a uh, a character that actually is a jedi master who survived order 66 and was kind of a special character to george lucas and here to talk about that with me is as i said charles from star wars conversations podcast uh charles what what do you think about quinlan voss being kind of woven into this storyline
0: well first of all thank you for having me tonight uh like you said, Pat's out there saving lives and Tom is uh, completely changing his life in Florida. So uh, we'll do our best to make up for their absences. But uh, you know what? If you had asked me this question a year and a half ago, I wouldn't have been that impressed with it. Oh, Quinlan Voss, I think I remember him from an episode of Clone Wars. But I've since read the Dark Disciples novel, as you mentioned. And what's even more impressive about that moment is uh, Ewan McGregor's face when he said his name, there was a, there was a life to his face. Yeah. And that, that was, I mean, now we could say that Ewan McGregor prepared so well that he saw the episode, uh, you know, hunt for zero uh, from the clone wars where, you know, uh, the, the character Obi-Wan was working very closely with Quinlan, but I believe that's directing. I, I believe that's from Filoni who knows that connection between those two characters. And that is really exciting because that then, opens up his relationship uh, with Quinlan uh, and potentially in this series or another series of a really interesting character Like and like you said before Lucas really did like him and he's a very different character and quite powerful as well
1: yeah, uh, one of the interesting things about that is that, as you mentioned, you know Quinlan Voss and Obi Wan Kenobi team up to track down Zero the Hut, uh, who is a character that appears in Clone Wars early on, and who is actually sprung free from prison by Cad Bane, who they just worked into the Mandalorian uh, season two, and uh, book of Boba Fett. So, uh, actually, not Mandalorian season two, more book of Boba Fett, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm time traveling they're weaving so many characters into so many pieces of content that it's almost hard to keep up but you know Cad Bane fan favorite from Clone Wars and all of a sudden we get to see him in live action I would posit that he is absolutely not dead and gone Uh, I would uh, direct you to look at the heart monitor uh, that is blinking on his chest as he's laying there on the dusty sands of Tatooine Uh, keep in mind these are alien species not all of their physiology is exactly where we expect it to be I do not think Cad Bane is dead and gone I certainly don't think 90 year old Boba fett's gonna kill him uh, especially in the uh, the context of how he was portrayed within that series but that is a conversation for another time we are talking about Quinlan Voss and Quinlan Voss uh, one of the interesting things about Quinlan Voss he is very much a, a Jedi master he's from a, a Kaffar, uh, or sorry Kifu the planet of Kifu so he is a cafar yeah. Jedi master uh, male Jedi master who is very much modeled after, I would say, kind of an American Indian uh, kind of look and feel for his character. And he Mm -hmm. contains a force power that is not something that can be learned. It can only be... uh, basically, uh, conveyed or, or gifted by, by birth and developed over time. And that particular force ability is something that we mentioned just last week in our Cal Kestis episode, which is, which is this force echo ability, uh, essentially the ability to touch an object and to sense the history of that object. And there are only three instances. Well, Four, I would say, uh, within Star Wars canon that we are aware of where this has occurred. The first would be Quinlan Boss. Uh, the second would be Cal Kestis. The third would be a character uh, from the uh, Jedi, uh, coll- or, sorry, uh, Force Collector Young adult novel.
0: Oh yes, right.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Which actually uh, was pointed out to me uh, after that Cal Kestis episode, um, and it was you know it was a, a novel that probably not a lot of people re- read. But his name was Car Nuxin, and he was a, a young uh, young man who was born kind of during that period of time after the Jedi Purge. One of these Force sensitive individuals who was wandering the galaxy, and and one of the first indications that he had these Force powers was he was able to touch certain uh, relics and would it be able to kind of determine uh, something of their past based on that contact and then certainly Rey when she touches the Skywalker lightsaber within the Force Awakens uh, and, and sees a lot of uh, visual uh, stimulus essentially has a Force vision that uh, is all tied to the events surrounding that Luke Skywalker or Anakin Skywalker technically lightsaber that uh, ended up spinning off into the depths of Bespin with Luke's severed right hand so there are a handful of individuals this is a very rare force ability and it is one of the things that made Quinlan Voss a very special member of the Jedi Order
0: for sure. That psychometry or psychometry, depending on how you pronounce it, right. uh, is really, really curious as the power and uh, those echoes that you see uh, or sorry, the, the holder sees um, gives them a sense of where this object has been and gives them a setting. You know, we first see that in the Clone Wars episode and. Uh, that Zero had touched the cup that uh, Quinlan had picked up, and he was able to dismiss the entire situation with Obi-Wan and say, you know, we can get out of here, basically. You know, we, we have what we need. We know he was here. And that ability gave him very special standing within the Jedi Order because he became like this master tracker because he was able to do that. And like you said, extremely unique, and especially during his time period, that uh, he then sort of became not the de facto sort of undercover agent, but... Aside from his uh, you know, uh, Native American uh, motif, he's also got that sort of James Bond style. Uh, he's, his ability to meld within the background while using these powers gives him a very, dare I say, almost un-Jedi-like uh, ability that they can sort of use him in a different way that most of the Jedi just don't have that weight about them. And we certainly see that in A uh, Dark Disciple.
1: Yeah. And I mean, not just in Dark Disciple, I would say, you know, we talked a little bit before we came on the air and there is a very distinct moment uh, in a film that I think most of the Star Wars fandom has seen where this character exists on a you know, one of the Skywalker saga films, and is completely unnoticed by most people who watch that film. And I'll leave it to you. I mean, I, I know you're familiar with this particular scene. Uh, where we, where do we first actually encounter Quinlan Voss
0: So up until this evening, I'd heard rumors that you know we Quinlan Voss shows up in the prequels. I just never really sort of thought about looking it up and seeing where that was. But I was listening to uh, Scarif. Podcast, their latest episode on episode three from um, just this past weekend, and Brad and Chantal and uh, Roe were talking about that and they had a guest on. I think his name was John, and they were talking about when uh, Quinlan showed up in the Phantom Menace. I'm like, wow, okay. So, and they described the scene a little bit. So I went on and looked, and sure enough, you see Quinlan as uh, you know that one scene where Anakin's coming up to Doug. He's there sort of on Tatooine and before the big race and i think it's the whole chicken scene i think uh, and uh, they're walking into the marketplace and just off to the left in the background in the shadow at one of the tables is a character with long hair and you see that distinctive yellow streak of paint across his face and my mind was blown right. and that is like a fantastic call out and jaw dropping and uh it's it's a fantastic link to one of lucas's favorite characters
1: yeah i mean it's definitely a bit of a retcon but uh certainly that scene where jar jar basically snakes his tongue out to grab one of these tasty morsels hanging from one of these stalls and uh you know Qui Gon, of course, in customary fashion, is, is reprimanding him for that, and the thing springs loose and you know kind of slings across the the stall and hits Sabalba, who is uh, kind of prepping for the race, and uh, Sabalba kind of confronts Jar Jar, and and Anakin gets himself in the mix, and of course, as you pointed out, in the background is is the character that ultimately becomes Quinlan Voss. and that was the uh, you know the story team basically recognizing the fact that that uh, Luke. Lucas definitely had an affinity for that character. He thought he was an interesting-looking character, wanted to lay in a backstory for him. And the plan was, I mean, certainly they, they did work him into Clone Wars uh, with that Zero the Hut arc. But the plan was that he was going to be featured much more, front, much more prominently uh, within the Clone Wars. And unfortunately, due to the, uh, the buyout by Disney uh, of Lucas and Lucasfilm, uh, that, those plans kind of went by the wayside. Mm-hmm. There was some story plans for him. However, he actually did later get kind of looped into the major storyline with the novel Dark Disciple, I think, that you mentioned earlier.
0: Absolutely. And that was one of those novels that I was, you know, planning on reading. And uh, one of our friends, uh, podcast friends, uh, It's True All of It from Australia, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Mike and Dale, he had suggested to me that, you know, this is a really great novel. You got to read it. And then we'd love to do a show with you guys. So I read that book. And it was a fantastic story, and it included a of interest. And really, it's it's a novel also about her and their relationship. But it really gives you an eye into, A, what the council was going through, uh, what um, Quinlan was certainly going through, but also Obi-Wan's eye-opening approach and, uh, or eye-opening view of what the Jedi Council was actually doing, because they went through some pretty – questionable stuff with this uh, character with this uh, with this line of characters and how they use them and perceived how they could use them and at the center of that of course is Mace Windu who had no problem going down this path but it's a if you haven't read it it's a fantastic novel on not just the characters but uh, somewhat again the underbelly of what the Jedi Council would see as a an okay thing to do
1: right yeah and honestly i have not read dark disciple it is kind of one of the the blind areas i guess in my star wars knowledge um and as the as the jedi temple archivist i think that is a horrible blind spot but uh (laughs) when it was uh, brought to my attention that you would be just the guy to fill that blind spot and and make sure that we had that aspect of it covered it was a perfect fit to have you on the show and you know you really think about it i mean uh one of the things about the Clone Wars, and and we've gone over it ad nauseum. Tom and I seem to have a, a weekly segment when we we're doing a show together about why the Clone Wars or why Rebels is something you must watch. But the Clone Wars, more importantly, in the sense that when you watch the prequel films, there is a the the thing that is missing the most in the in the prequel films is you get to see Anakin as a young boy. And then you get to see him in Attack of the Clones as a, you know, kind of a a teenager uh, kind of coming into his manhood. And then all of a sudden you jump to Revenge of the Sith and and he's kind of on this slide to the dark side. And there is this huge arc that is missing that is filled in by the Clone Wars where you understand that his story is so much deeper and richer. He was truly a hero of the Republic. Uh, he had a long way to fall. And you understand the impetus for that fall in the sense that he had lost his mother. He had essentially was was threatened with losing Padman, ultimately lost her. And the, the X factor, the thing you don't even know unless you've seen the Clone Wars, is the character of Ahsoka and how her loss, not via death, but via her no longer being part of his uh his day-to-day life uh Mm -hmm. is an impact and i always i always refer to that as kind of the the three legs of the support system of anakin uh and what leads to his fall and one of those legs you don't even know about if you haven't seen the clone wars and very much in the same way Asajj Ventress, who we have not discussed on this show and who is absolutely a topic for an upcoming show because she is a incredibly rich character, uh, that, that spans kind of like an, an anti arc for what you see of a Jedi that falls to the dark side and then, and then rises again. Asajj is a character who we generally know as a very dark character who, who rises to the light, uh, Via a very different path, and is tied very closely to Quinlan Voss as a love interest. Uh, so there's there's a very interesting context there. It's it's Star Wars, by Lucas's own account, was always about relationships. It was always about family. It was always about relationships, and how those things impacted the behavior of the individuals that were touched on in in his storytelling and uh certainly uh quinlan voss factors into that quite highly in this particular case
0: absolutely okay before we continue now do you want me to get in i can get into spoilers of the the novel if you're okay or i can sort of give you a high level What, what would you like What do you
1: think? I I would say that, um, why don't we go ahead? If, if, uh, everyone is aware that there are spoilers forthcoming, if you want to jump forward, uh, to the end of this segment, and I will mention, uh, I I will put in a clip here. Future Rob here. If you want to avoid spoilers, jump forward to 4107 in this recording, and you will avoid the spoilers inherent in Dark Disciple. Why don't you jump into those for the people who have read it uh, or who aren't going to bother reading that novel, and, uh, and we'll get into that topic.
0: Okay, so now that we've got that uh, little warning out of the way, yeah, Dark Disciples is a fantastic uh, novel by Christy Golden. But what's really interesting is that novel is based on a series of episodes that, A, weren't, like you said, weren't produced because of the Disney purchase and sort of everything was shut down. But those episodes were written by none other than Katie Lucas. So she's got a very strong connection to uh, the force? Quinlan Vos. Oh. Through, through father. So yes, the force. <laughs> so the, so those episodes that were never aired uh, were turned into this novel by uh, Christy Golden. So fantastic novel. And it's a good read. It's a great read. And like I said before, it really does give sort of a... Uh, a flying the walls view of what's going on at this particular stage of the the Clone Wars, and so at this point, uh, Asajj Ventress has been dismissed by Dooku. She returns to Dathomir, and and uh, she you know she sort of becomes one of the nice sisters again, right? So right. she's coming back to the fold, and of course the CIS just keeps moving forward like this juggernaut of uh, death and destruction, and it's determined that.
1: For for the we non can't. for the non initiated, that is the Confederation of Independent Systems.
0: <laughs> Thank you. True. Um, so it's determined that perhaps at this point Dooku maybe should be assassinated. And this is the Jedi Council, and who else would suggest such a thing but of course Mace Windu. So of course. So, <laughs> of course. Uh, but the council in its entirety, you know, begrudgingly agrees that this is what needs to happen. Sort of the, you know, the end out, you know, the uh, the end outcomes, what's the saying? Shit. Sorry, I got to edit this. Uh, the ends, the, the Oh, the, the ends end justify the means, right? Right. And yeah. so they think that by getting, you know, assassinating Dooku, they're going to save millions of people. So, begrudgingly look at it and, and agree with it, and Obi-Wan certainly doesn't like it, but I guess sort of understands where they're coming from. And he's the one.
1: (laughs) Sorry. I'm trying to read these tiny numbers to figure out where I have to edit things out.
0: Oh, I thought (laughs) you're, I thought you're mimicking uh, Obi-Wan looking with a (laughs) (laughs) binoculars. I wish,
1: I wish that was the case. Uh, sadly, my 2020 vision has started to rapidly decline. Uh, I probably need a vision exam, but uh, all these tiny numbers on the uh, <laughs> on the Adobe Audition software <laughs> are becoming a it's major issue for old man Rob. <laughs>
0: so so Obi Wan, this point, nominates Quinlan Vos as the perfect operative to take out Dooku. And it's also interesting to note that this is like his friend, his very close associate, and a great friend. So I don't think he took this lightly, but I also think that from admission success, this is why he suggested Quinlan boss And like we talked about already tonight is that Quinlan has this ability, A, to be a fantastic tracker. He can blend into the background, and he's built for this type of mission. Okay. So he meets with the council and you know mace tells him that he's going to be on this mission not yoda which is kind of interesting because it's almost as if mace is driving this whole this whole decision this whole uh secret little assassination and it makes for an uncomfortable uh air because the rest of the council who typically looks to yoda for the guidance you got mace running the show and it's uh it definitely comes out through the entire story, but it's a it's a really little cool thing to note. So anyway, so. Uh
1: Okay, go ahead. No, just to break in real quick, I, I do think it's interesting because typically you you think of the Jedi Council and you think of the fact that there is a Jedi Grandmaster. I mean, certainly if you've been involved in any of the, the prior uh, Star Wars role-playing, uh, you know, the MMORPG games like The Old Republic, etc., there's generally a, a Grandmaster that runs the Jedi Council and that the Council defers to in a lot of their decisions. But the unique thing that occurs during this time of the prequel is that you have Mace Windu and Yoda, who are, for all intents and purposes, kind of like co grandmasters. And, and to mm. your point, uh, you know, Mace Windu, it's ironic that he has a, shall we say, uh, more casual approach to the Force. Uh, you look at him, and, and he is the only Jedi. Uh, unknown record who employs the Form 7 lightsaber style of a pod, which really draws right. on dark side type energy, uh, but it maintains control over that. So it does not allow the dark side to overwhelm you in the way that a Sith would. And that is specifically the reason that Mace Windu was able to fight. Palpatine to a virtual standstill uh in Revenge of the Sith and it was really only Anakin being kind of the X factor that uh Mace Windu made the mistake of trusting Anakin and Anakin betrayed him as Anakin want to do. Uh and hmm. that is what tipped the scales in favor of Palpatine but had had Palpatine not been uh not been in a position to have Anakin there to save him Windu would have Potentially uh, stop the Sith threat, and and the story would have been completely different. Uh, which is also, and and not to go too far afield, there are many issues with the sequel trilogy. But the concept that Mace Windu was able to fight off the Force lightning of Palpatine with his single bladed lightsaber, uh, that that uh, Ray was able to then essentially cause a. Oh, for lack of better words, I guess, a... Uh, uh a reverse charge back into Palpatine with the cross yeah. blades of Luke and Leia and to destroy him for all the issues that I had with rise of Skywalker and the overall sequel trilogy. I did think that that would realistically be the primary way that you would be able to defeat Palpatine. You would basically cause his dark side energy to feed back on himself and he would destroy himself with his own hatred, uh, which he would not be able to pull back from. So, that aspect of it, I totally buy into, I, I think that was brilliant. Uh, but unfortunately there were, there were other issues that I think caused people to kind of uh, not, not fall in love with the pre or the sequel trilogy.
0: Trilogy, um, Yeah. So, and, you know, this novel does play a little bit into that because, you know, after Quinlan is selected as the main operative for this assassination attempt on Dooku and Asajj is identified as the primary target to get the Dooku because of her obvious sure. association with her, with him. Um, You know, the uh, sort of Obi-Wan is, is Quinlan's handler and right. they have regular meetings on level 13, 13. Ha ha. Very, uh, <laughs> very nice little touch there. And he's meant to be there to hopefully keep Quinlan on the track, check in with, uh with Obi-Wan, but also because Obi-Wan does have that experience with Asajj and she's brilliant. She's a, brilliant character knows people who are trying to play her and turns around and plays them so eventually quinlan does hook up with her and they do some missions they hook up with the pike syndicate and they do fall in love they have this connection that you know it's beyond just uh, a working relationship i think that uh for Well, obviously, at the end of the story, you realize that Asajj knew that he was force sensitive and he thought he was being all smart by hiding it. But she's force sensitive as well. So, you know, that that, uh, was, from her perspective, almost cute that he was trying to hide it from her. So that force ability does come into play because they do get very close to Dooku and they face him and ultimately they fail. But Dooku ends up capturing Boss. And ultimately calls him his apprentice. And this is that dark point where Quinlan is even sort of pulled further to the dark side. And uh, it comes back to the, uh, uh, the council that he has been captured and he's potentially falling to the dark side. And... This is where Mace calls him potentially a rogue Jedi. And again, that just really highlights the fact that it's Mace himself who initially <laughs> launched this entire operation with which, of course, Obi-Wan suggested Quinlan as the operative. But now it's biting him, and he's calling the rogue Jedi. And it's, it's such... <laughs> You know, it harkens back to their treatment of Ahsoka. It's right. it's nasty. Right.
1: You know, I think it's absolutely uh, pertinent to point out the fact that you know there was a very fine line you had to walk within the the Jedi Order, and it's interesting to note that you know you can sit here and talk about falling to the dark side, but there are degrees of that, and it it all goes back to the idea of uh, Jedi basically spurn attachment. Yeah, you look at the Jedi Order, and the Jedi Order was founded on attachment. It was totally attached to the Republic. Uh, Very much so in the sense that, you know, they were tied to the Republic. They were uh, basically used as peacekeepers for the Republic. And in a lot of ways, it blinded them to what was going on. And and we see that in Clone Wars Season 7, where you have the common citizens of Coruscant talking about the fact that the people really aren't the focus of the Jedi. the The Republic and the the organization and the the day to day function of the re- the Republic was what was the focus of the Jedi. Mm. So they had gotten very far away from what was truly important to the Jedi. Uh, it's a lot of the reason why, when you look at post, um, you know, re- Return of the Jedi. Uh, you get into legends a little bit with regard to how the Jedi Order proceeded after that. We see a little bit of that even with the Luke Skywalker New Jedi Order that gets founded within uh, the, you know the, the timeline of the Mandalorian with them kind of distancing themselves from any organized government and going about as their own individual organization where they were not controlled by anyone. They were not expected to support a formed government. And, uh, and really, that's what the Jedi should have been all about from the beginning. And, and that, uh, that linkage with the Republic, it gave them a lot of benefits, but it also blinded them in a lot of ways to the ways in which they were compromising themselves on a day-in and day-out basis. And it's one of the reasons why I think Ahsoka was actually one of the truest Jedi um, in her ability to recognize the fact that there was something wrong with the Jedi Order and her ability to walk away from that. And that then dovetails into the whole tie-in between her and the sister in the Mortis arc and the fact that that Convor is seen constantly following her around. Uh, and we've talked about that in a lot of the Ahsoka-related content that we put out.
0: Absolutely. And that connection to the Republic then comes back to the, uh, how close are those ties? Are you really on a mission for the Jedi for the greater good of the people or the... the, the... The, the Galactic Empire, this whole well, what's going to become the Galactic Empire, but that changing point is coming very soon. And of course, as we know, the Jedi failed to see that. Mace being one of the <laughs> frontline runners of that part of it. But if you know the the fact that he mace calls Quinlan a potential rogue Jedi, it's it's uh, quite poignant because, like as we said, he's the one who sort of initiated this entire mission. It then triggers Ventress to hire Boba Fett's crew to go and try and rescue Quinlan because know she knows the Jedi aren't going to do anything about it. He's already been cut loose. Right. He's no longer of a use to them. And this sounds very Sith-like, which is unfortunate, but this is where we're at at this point. So they go and try and get him. Uh, they fail uh, to rescue him, unfortunately, um, but she sees Ventress, witnesses his turn to the dark side, even down to the yellow Sith eyes. Um, so, uh, you know, his turn to the dark side is pretty much complete. Of course, he's with uh, Dooku at this point. And uh, at this point, Ventress meets with Kenobi. She tells him that, hey, look, we've got a, we've got a problem here that uh, your operative now is gone, almost completely the dark side, we gotta rescue him. And the council, and she appears to them, they're angry at her for what she's done. And the hypocrisy at this point is ridiculous because this entire thing wouldn't have been any creation except for the fact that they're the ones who initiated this entire story. And she's in the middle of it like, dudes, what's going on? This is absolutely ridiculous. Well, so uh,
1: real, real quick. I want to interject here because it's, it's something that just dawned on me as a result of kind of the backstory that we had done on the Jedi temple very early on in this podcast. And one of the key things that was noted was that, the Jedi temple uh, at various points over the course of galactic history on Coruscant had been raised by the Sith and there had been a Sith shrine that had been uh, implemented underneath the Jedi temple that the Jedi had not found. And which was one of the things that had caused kind of a corruption over time of the Jedi temple and weakened their ability to sense the force uh, which is one of the things that gets mentioned in those prequel prequel films is the fact that uh, you know their their connection with the Force has been weakened. Uh, the Shroud of the Dark Side has kind of started to fall across the galaxy, and when you look at the fact that Mace Windu and that Vapod lightsaber style that he favored, which was very much straddling the line with the Dark Side, uh, yes. was was in tune with the Dark Side to a certain degree in order to. Uh, to to reap the benefits of that style and to create a scenario where he, again, I don't think it was I don't think it was uh, portrayed as well in the prequel films as it could have been, especially in Return of the Sith, or Revenge of the Sith. Sorry, uh, when when the four Jedi went to confront uh, Sidious, uh, aka Emperor Palpatine or, or Chancellor Pal- mm-hmm. Chancellor Palpatine at that time, uh, you know he basically took out three Jedi Masters very quickly and and kind of unimpressively. Um, and I think it was dealt with a little bit better in the novelization, but Mace Windu was the only one who was able to stand against him. And it is because that rise of dark side energy, especially there in Coruscant, that was blinding the rest of the Jedi was not affecting Mace Windu in the same way it was affecting his brethren because he was somewhat tapped into that dark side energy uh, very much mm. straddling that line, right? And Ventress also, I think, probably <laughs> benefited to some degree from that. She was a, a, a Padawan uh, or a apprentice to Dooku for quite some time over the course of the prequel trilogy uh, and, and the certainly the events of the Clone Wars uh, animated series. Again, another one of these characters that we don't ever see in the films but a character very much the anti-Ahsoka in the sense that she is the apprentice to one of these dark side characters. And while Ahsoka breaks free of the Jedi Order and recognizes the fact that there is something corrupt about them and that they have been compromised in some way, uh, Ventress has a much more pure, I think, separation in the sense that she realizes that she is being manipulated and she removes herself from that for very personal reasons uh, and, and kind of starts her arc back to the light. Uh, and that's really where she intersects with Quinlan Voss and his kind of temporary fall to the dark side.
0: You're totally right, because she's the one who comes to Obi-Wan on the council to say, hey, look, your Jedi is falling to the dark side. He needs to remain in the light. Let's get him out of here. So her mission with Boba Fett and his crew fail. Then um, uh, Obi Wan and and uh, her and Desh, they go and get him with along with Anakin they rescue Quinlan they bring him back um, he rehabilitates um, but the, for Ventress she doesn't see him uh, as completely rehabilitated she still senses something awry with him and so they send him on two they they send Quinlan on two sort of like little little missions right and they both end mysteriously. And for the wrong reasons, right? And immediately, they suspect him uh, without true cause. And again, just like you said brilliantly before, uh, ties to Ahsoka. They're already you know he's guilty before uh, being proven innocent. Right. Um, ultimately, he's he is not innocent, but uh, it's their nature that they sort of jump to that. Uh, but Yoda does sense his true Sith nature, and they at this point. Mace Windu suggests that he should be executed. And of course, Obi-Wan... Yeah, exactly.
1: Mind you, Boba... Boba, Young Boba Fett tries to actually assassinate Mace Windu, and and he makes peace with young Boba Fett. But but a fellow Jedi execute her.
0: (laughs) Get rid of him. So... And of course, Obi-Wan is just completely aghast about the whole idea. So he convinces the council that, hey, look, instead of doing this, let's do the ultimate test. And again, Obi-Wan is extremely, you know, this is not an easy decision for him because this is his friend, uh, you know, a fellow Jedi, but also one he's become friendly with uh, and is close to. He said, look, let's send him to Christophsis to go and once and for all kill Dooku. If he kills him, he can come back to the order. If he doesn't, Will kill him, which ultimately means I'll kill him, and that's spoiler alert. He doesn't
1: kill Dooku. Yeah.
0: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so they send him off to Christophsis. Asajj, you know, Asajj goes, and Obi Wan and Anakin also secretly follow. So they're keeping tabs on the entire mission. They get there, and um, uh, they ultimately they face him. Uh, okay, uh, uh, so. Quinlan, does, sorry, Quinlan faces Dooku in a duel, and he bests him, which is unbelievable to think about. Right, he bests right. Dooku, who's a fantastic lightsaber duelist. And a master of mystic
1: arts. Oh, wait, no, that's it, you Dr. Go. Strange. Yeah. I'm
0: sorry. Wrong, wrong character. <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting to note, and you mentioned this before about the rise of Skywalker, is um, to defeat him in this duel, not only did he take, not only did Quinlan take his lightsaber, he also took uh, Dooku's, and he formed an X, just like in The Rise of Skywalker. Now, this was written in 2015. right? So he formed this X, in, and, and that's how he defeats Dooku. And uh, he says that he wants to be Sidious's apprentice. And Obi-Wan and, and uh, Anakin, who were secretly just like literally behind them, hiding behind his desk, they hear this, and they al- they realize that, of course, this was an entire ruse. He is still very much tapped into the dark side, and they realize they have a big problem on their hand. So they do, uh, ultimately, they capture them, but and again, they escape uh, with the help of Ventress. They make it down uh, back to Christophs as they crash land in Dooku's base. Um, uh, Worst escape ever.
1: The, Worst escape ever, by the way.
0: Yeah, it's not very far. No. They sort of know where they are, but they do have at least uh, uh, some sort of encampment that they can uh, defend at one door. But um, That was do, my do,
1: patented do... Gamorrean laugh, by the way. I, I did work the, sna- the snorting of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Kudos. You should do a cosplay for it. <laughs> right, right.
1: I'm not thin enough to be a, uh, a new wave Gamorrean, so gotta have i <laughs> have, have to have the cut calves and
0: <laughs> good mornings are on the keto diet apparently this is a
1: this is a completely uh un uh unpaid and unsolicited ad for any of the robot head reviews of book above a Fett. you should totally check those out on youtube uh always get a chuckle i, I did inform him that he missed out on the opportunity to uh, point out the fact that the Pikes apparently is a crime syndicate are still using public transit, uh, much like the local drug gang rolling up on the city bus.
0: <laughs> Thanks to the Book of Boba Fett for that one. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, um, so their escape back to the planet of Christophsis into their little uh, embattlement and... At this point, you still have. Now you've got some Jedi and you've got the clones uh, who are sieging uh, Dooku's uh, final stand. And Dooku contacts Sidious, asks for help to come and rescue them because now they're under siege by the Jedi and the, uh, the Republic clones. So they're, they're under siege from the Jedi and the clones. Um, Voss, at this point, forces an introduction with himself and Sidious. And he sort of plays that as a power play to uh, subvert Duku's power, and seeing that how, hey, look, I've got us this far. Why don't you look at me as one of your uh, as your apprentice? But uh, you know, Sidious sort of you know dismisses him to a certain degree, and the they break through. Quinlan is at this point pissed and attacks Duku. Has him on the edge of death, and declares at this point that um, he Duku, sorry, Duku sees this as like his final stand, and he is about to force lightning um, uh, Quinlan to finally kill him. Ventress sacrifices herself, and she takes the full brunt of the force lightning, and she says to him that this is now your chance to rediscover the light side of the force and she dies there on Christophsis saving Quinlan and uh he you know he ultimately sacrifices Dooku he doesn't kill him like he's dead because spoiler he's not dead yet um and uh, Obi-Wan witnesses that and after the battle uh they take Ventress back to Dathomir, and she becomes, you know, one with the Force of the Night Sisters, and she's sort of returned to her roots.
1: Yeah, it's it's an incredible arc for Asajj Ventress. I mean, certainly we don't know much about her prior to the events of Clone Wars. If you've not watched Clone Wars, if Tom were here, he would insist that you do so. Uh, I certainly support that. Uh, this is our kind of PSA regarding uh, Clone Wars and. When you look at the the prequel trilogy, the one thing that is missing, and I was explaining this to my 14-year-old son last night, uh, we kind of had a bonding moment as we were getting ready to watch uh, Kenobi episode three, and he was slightly not excited about it, um, but we got into a larger discussion about uh, about Kenobi and the prequels came up. And one of the things about the prequels is you go from uh, Phantom Menace, where you see a young Anakin, to a big jump to him being kind of a a mid to late teenage Anakin, uh, kind of established as a uh, more advanced Padawan on the verge of Jedi knighthood. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you've got full Jedi knight Anakin in uh, Revenge of the Sith, well on the path to sliding to the dark side. And it is such a precipitous change in his character that it is hard for anyone to wrap their head around it or to really fully connect with him as a character. Uh, much to the same degree that it's hard to, you know, to really see the progression of Obi Wan uh, mm-hmm. within that same frame time frame. And the one thing uh, that the Clone Wars really provides. Is it provides that filler and inf- for that filler information, the filler episodes that really allows you to kind of go on a journey with these characters and to experience their growth and them rising to their highest peaks and then, uh, you know, the the events that basically compromise them in, in little ways. In the sense of Obi Wan, uh, you end up finding that he is able to overcome those. In the case of Anakin, you find that he. For a lot of very valid reasons, does not, uh, and it's just it's incredible to to see kind of the story that is developed. It it takes more than a three movie arc to really uh, express the the arc of these major characters, and uh, it really deepens your appreciation for the prequel trilogy. Uh, certainly, there were other factors with the prequels uh, that that impacted their effectiveness on film uh, new technologies that maybe didn't work out uh, actors that weren't quite sure how to act against those particular blue screens green screens Mm -hmm. etc but the story itself is very pure uh, and I've always felt that way and and I always felt that you know really the the onus wasn't on the actors because they were being put in a very difficult position Uh, but the story has always been excellent Certainly, we don't need to know so much about the Trade Federation. But when it comes to these characters, you know, we we (laughs) talked a little bit before we got into this that Quinlan Vos does not get mentioned as an aside. And the quote that gets put on the wall of the safe house on the path that that is used to transport force-sensitive children, uh, force-sensitive adults, Jedi uh, that escaped Order 66, etc., is not an accident. Uh, everything is done for a very specific reason, and and I look at that particular quote and the fact that Quinlan has left a message for whoever comes to read it, that says only with your eyes closed can you see, can you truly see the way. And that resonates with hmm. Obi Wan. I mean, we we talked about this a little bit before coming on air. That very closely translates into what Obi Wan then later tells uh, Luke Skywalker. On the Millennium Falcon as he is training him in the ways of the force. And he has him put on that helmet with the blast shield down and tells him, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. It is just a riff on that same message. Uh, And and it has to be something that Obi-Wan has thought about. He has to think about the fact that he got to the point where he would look at Anakin and he would see his brother. And he was blinded to the fact that Anakin had changed over the course of the events that took place within the clone wars that while Obi-Wan being pure of heart and certainly he had his challenges, he had, you know, Dutch, his love for Duchess Satine, uh, that he, that was one of the challenges that he faced and he rose above. Uh, there were the, the very similar challenges that Anakin had faced and he had succumbed to. And, uh, you know, it certainly, uh, rang true with Obi-Wan that, that, uh, that blindness, the, the blindness that is granted to people who can see what's right in front of them and not see its true nature, was one of the greatest threats to any Jedi and to any anybody who wanted to follow the light. And uh, and it was really something that struck me about that episode more so than a, a Obi Wan and Vader showdown, which I thought um, you know left something to be desired within within episode three but it just made Quinlan Voss jump out at me as a character that we really should dive into in this episode.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's a fantastic cut. And you know, then you can translate that to uh, Quinlan and Ventress. Yeah. You know, it wasn't necessarily Quinlan who saw that my, his eyes were darkened. It was, uh, it was Ventress who right. saw him in that same light. Look, your eyes are dark right now, but you need to open them to the light. And she's the one who saved Quinlan, and she's the one who put him back on his path to the light. And now, we, he's now in Obi Wan series, saving others. Right. And it's if it weren't for her, he wouldn't be there. And what a full circle that is, not only for him but also for Ventress and that you know important novel. But uh, his entire uh, his entire story arc where he survived the battle of uh, – sorry, the Order 66 and the Jedi Purge, uh, you know, on Kashyyyk and he was doing his part of it. But it, it's really cool how now we're starting to see these – this patchwork of storytelling of after the great Jedi Purge, now these characters are starting to come up and what – what more of a fantastic character with a rich history, but also very interesting and open for great exploration than, uh, Quinlan boss.
1: No, totally. And, and, you know, it goes back to the fact that, uh, you look at a character like Grogu, who is a major character within the Mandalorian arc. And it was stated that, you know, uh, when, when he was brought before Ahsoka in Mandalorian season two, and she mentioned the fact that he had been trained by, by numerous Jedi masters, We know Quinlan was a Jedi master uh, and certainly would have been in a position to potentially be present to spirit Grogu away. We now have this link with an Obi-Wan that Quinlan was familiar with this path that was essentially the Underground Railroad for Jedi Mm -hmm. uh, and, and would ferry them out of out of Imperial controlled territories and put them in a position where they could create a new life or a new identity. Uh, so there are a number of ties that they're kind of laying in there. We'll, we'll see in the upcoming seasons of both uh, Kenobi with the remaining three episodes. And we know we have Mandalorian season three coming up, uh, which also ties directly into Grogu. They lay groundwork very carefully when they do these shows. And uh, and I certainly always think that Dave Filoni, who was immensely uh, responsible for the wonderful things that occurred within the, the clone war series. I I have to believe he has longer term plans for these characters and tie-ins that uh, are very important and have been developed over a long period of time. And I'm looking forward to seeing if those things actually develop. I mean, there's other, other ways that this can play out uh, and still have it be an excellent story. But uh, the bottom line is, is that uh, when they name drop a character that is generally a character, not familiar to the, vast majority of the star Wars fandom. It is rarely for no reason. And that's why we had to dive into a Quinlan Voss episode this evening.
0: In Filoni, we trust
1: in Filoni. We trust. And I very much appreciate you coming on to, to assist me with this. There was definitely a gap in my knowledge of Quinlan Voss, the dark disciple, uh, content being specifically one of those areas. And you have been the, you filled that gap, uh, in the way that only a fellow red five member could so i appreciate you coming yes. on uh, thank god pat was not here to muddy the waters with his dribble
0: <laughs> and but, you I know he would have had a great joke or two in there of over course there. he would he would
1: have actually <laughs> yeah. uh, he would have actually taken over the episode with his uh unique brand of comedy but we know he's <laughs> busily driving on his way up here to Lansing, Michigan to steal my dark saber. So uh, <laughs> thank you for staying home and uh, and pretending like you weren't one of the people who was responsible for it not showing up on my doorstep.
0: <laughs> it's all part of the ruse. <laughs> of uh, it was it a pleasure is. being here and thank you for having me. And uh, it was a pleasure. And uh, like I said, if it wasn't uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I wouldn't have known what to answer, but a Quinlan <laughs> boss, if he does become that type of character within this uh burgeoning storyline that is on disney plus i'm all for it because he's got a fantastic backstory
1: if i'm not wrong you also got a lovely uh, conversations jingle out of that uh out of that uh joint effort with the uh, the podcast that you mentioned earlier
0: <laughs> that's true it's true all of it that's right <laughs> there's our there are our intro songs
1: why don't you let everyone know where they can find you and the conversations podcast
0: Well, we are all over. Um, We are on Twitter at Suations. We're uh, on Facebook at Conversations. We're also uh, on Instagram at the same, at Conversations. We um, are on most podcatchers. We are – you can uh, find a bunch of our T-shirts that we put up and uh, finally found Zazzle that hasn't taken our stuff down (laughs) on our bio.link forward slash Conversations and much like you, we are proud members of the Red 5 Network, and uh, it, which is a group of fantastic, varying different uh, topics and subjects and viewpoints. Uh, it's a great family to be a part of, and we are honored to be there.
1: Yeah, I would also say you're a proud member of the uh, Ridiculous Chucklehead Commercial Network. <laughs> uh, we, have, we, have, uh, we have collaborated on a number of uh, really dorky but funny commercials that we uh, will play uh, indiscriminately across both our channels. So check those out. Uh, we do have some of them up on our uh, JTA podcast YouTube channel. So check that out. Uh, certainly, if you want to find us, you can look for us at jtapodcast.com, which is the best place to find our episodes or on any of your podcatchers. If you want to reach out to talk anything Star Wars, please do so at JTA podcast at gmail.com. And uh, certainly you'll be able to find both ourselves and uh, the Conversations podcast guys as well as uh, many members of the Red 5 Network this July 23rd in Chicago at, uh, I believe it is uh, Murray's Caddyshack. Murray's Caddyshack. Thank you so much. In
0: Rosemont. Yes,
1: in Rosemont, very close to the uh, Chicago O'Hare Airport on July 23rd uh, for our... Uh, fourth annual ScarifCon 2022 uh, we are going to be hosting our very own Star Wars house this year, uh, thanks to Verbo, oh, yeah. uh, which is going to be ridiculous, and uh, and we may never be allowed to rent via Verbo again. But uh, it's going to be an awesome time. So excited for Ro, who is the host of the Scareface Scuttleball podcast, who put this network together. Uh, so many wonderful content creators, and so many great friends, and so many people that are willing to travel ridiculous distances, including Pat and Charles, who. We're coming up from Florida. Uh, I'm going to be there to transport them about the area, Uh, but we are going to have just a ridiculously good time. So if you are in the Chicagoland area, or if you're willing to travel to the Chicagoland area, please do so. July 23rd, uh, pretty much all day long, we are going to be out at that uh, Murray Brothers uh, Caddyshack restaurant. And... In Rosemont, as Charles said, uh, drink specials, all kinds of fun activities. And Dominic Pace from uh, the Mandalorian series playing the Mm -hmm. bounty hunter Gecko in season one, including his new uh, Star Wars geek Tiki, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, A number of us own that and uh, looking forward to seeing Dominic. He is just absolutely salt of the earth. Uh, great guy and a wonderful reason that uh, to believe that Star Wars fans actually can be part of the Star Wars mythos.
0: Absolutely. And the, it, that event is for everybody. It doesn't, you don't have to be part of the Red 5 Network, nothing. It's for everyone who loves Star Wars. Yep. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you.
1: Yeah, I would say if you uh, love Star Wars, you're already part of the Red 5 Network. So definitely check that out. Uh, reach out to either us at JTA Podcast, Conversations, or uh, Scariff Scuttlebutt Podcast. Ro, uh, who is the leader of the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast, would be happy to give you details about that particular outing. Uh, but otherwise, thank you guys so much for tuning in, learning, uh, learning a little bit about Quinlan Voss and his role within the Star Wars universe. And hopefully that knowledge is going to play a greater part in your enjoyment of either Kenobi or Mandalorian Season 3 when we get to that point later this year. So, thank you guys so much. May the Force be with you.